Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we are starting on our series where I'm going to the other libraries in Lackawanna County, and today we are at the Carbondale Public Library. We are interviewing Jessica Pratt. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell your role? Hello, my name is uh, Jessica Pratt, and I'm currently the Adult Services Librarian at the Carbondale Public Library, and that involves mostly adult programming. Uh, I do research, I help with genealogy requests, uh, and I help with technology. I dug into the history of Carbondale um, because I figured it's 40th anniversary of the Lockmore County Library System, so it's a good time to see where all the libraries originated from since we're all connected by the overall body. The very first mention I found in Scranton Papers of the Carbondale Public Library was on February 4th of 1898. And I know the library is older than that, but that's the first one that I found. It was mentioning how the Carbondale Library Club was going to be public for the first time at a dance in the W.W. Watt building. So it was starting off promotion right away. Um, But then further, I know the library has a longer history than that. So through there, I did more digging. And I know on your website, it mentions E. Francis. And I discovered that he was a school principal and that the library opened on May 9th of 1874. And it was known as the Young Men's Library Association of Carbondale. And they were operating out of a private room in the DNH Railroad Company. And then when it started, like most libraries, it was a subscription fee. Mm-hmm. So that meant you paid either a monthly or yearly due, and then you'd be able to check out books. Yep, it but, was, uh, it was uh, $3 for men per year and $1.50 for women per year. Oh, mm-hmm. that's fun. I like that you have the... Um, actual amounts because I feel like that's rare it's just oftentimes you just find like it was subscription and then then it became a free library which is how we tend to think of libraries today in 1895 and I had the first librarian as Mr. E.A. Wheeler Mm -hmm. yeah the library started off it was process for it began in uh, 1872 the Dickens Literary Association, they had done a series of lectures in Carbondale, but they had money left over, so they were like, let's make a public library. And so through a few years of just kind of trying to raise money for that, uh, the DNH, the Delaware Hudson Canal Company, gave them one of their rooms in their office buildings up on Main Street. Uh, if, if you know where the Ben Mar restaurant, it was actually a building that looked exactly like that right next door to it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they gave a, a one room to start a library yeah. there. And uh, E.A. Wheeler, he was uh, the first librarian. He, he worked for the DNH there. Oh, I didn't realize he worked for the company. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it would make sense that they have the rooms. Another fun oh, fact yeah. is that uh, Carbondale is the oldest library in Lackawanna County. It is the <laughs> second oldest library in northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, West Pittston uh, Public Library has us beat by one year. Oh, (laughs) I was thinking it would be Oosterhout, because I know they are also Mm -hmm. incredibly old. Yeah. But that's a really fun fact. Yes. In 1896, it was moved to a room in City Hall. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, if you, act, if you look at like old picture postcards, you can actually see a little tiny public library sign in one of the windows of City Hall. <laughs> That's cute. Mm-hmm. And in my research, I found a discussion about a possible Carnegie Library coming to Carbondale. I feel like this was something that was very popular around 1901. Every mm-hmm. town was trying to buy to get a, one of the libraries established by Andrew Carnegie. Because it required the town to establish a site for the library itself and also pay an annual amount equal to 10% of the cost of the building in order to maintain it. Some people argued that it was too expensive for Carbondale and it never really materialized. But it is fun that it was thought of and in the process. Mm -hmm. From what what, what little research I did on Carnegie Libraries, it was the, the... uh, Carnegie kind of provided the buildings, but didn't really provide much else. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, they, they would get like these nice fancy buildings, but they wouldn't necessarily have anything to put in them. And so like just the cost of getting a, Car- a Carnegie library was sometimes prohibitive. Yes. Another thing I found interesting is in an article where it talks about the library being closed for repairs and renovations to add a reference department in the 1920s. It went through the process that somebody could go through to get a library card. And at that time, according to the Scranton Papers, a prominent businessman had to sign your application form, and that's how you were able to get a library (laughs) card. Um, And I thought that was an interesting way to phrase it and an interesting requirement. The early staff included Grace Copeland, who seemed to be part of the Carbondale Public Library for many years, mm-hmm. and Helen F. Hathaway, who also became Helen Lewis after she got married. And then we go into 1932. So the Great Depression's happening, but I was able to find the budget that was published in the newspaper, and Grace Copeland's salary was $800, which was higher than the pay for the, the superintendents, of the Streets and Public Improvement Department, Department of Public Safety, Department of Public Parks and Buildings, and the Departments of Accountants and Finance, which were all paid $750. So I found that interesting. Um, And then I did the math. I went online, tried to figure out the conversion, and it would be about $17,500 today. Unfortunately, due to the struggles of the Great Depression, It took quite a few years for her to actually get the payment. But as far as I can tell, she was eventually paid for all her work. But there was constant talk about fundraising efforts to get new books and get shelves that were needed and general refurbishing during that time as well. Yeah. It's just the effect of the Great Depression had on everything. Yeah. So I was able to find that the repairs were finally scheduled for March of 1933, and the library was set to reopen on May 15th. So everything worked out, <laughs> so which is good. And then in 1953, the library was open every single day, except for Wednesday and Sunday. On August 23rd of 1953, a children's department designed for people 12 years old and younger was announced. And what I found fun is that there was a contest to name the new department that began in January of 1954. This time, 
children who signed up needed to have the signature of a property owner to get a library oh, wow. card. <laughs> so, no parent or guardians there. <laughs> nope. A property owner. <laughs> it's, uh, now, I don't know if it was around that time, but I know like beforehand as well, uh, the library was uh, closed stacks as well. Mm-hmm. You actually had to go and request a book and have it brought to you. You couldn't browse the shelves like we mm-hmm. do nowadays. So I'm wondering... I. I'm not sure, but it may have been around that time that they actually also opened up the, shel- the shelves, too. Yeah, it, from what I was reading, it seemed like it, because I think it was around this time that articles being like, please return all of your books yeah. that you have out back to the <laughs> library started to be published in the paper frequently. And I found that interesting, like that today you just get like an email being like, hey, please return them. Yes. But then it was in the paper. Yeah. It didn't list people's names, but it was just like, please return them. <laughs> well, we didn't have, uh, you know, interlibrary loans back then. So if that, yeah. your one copy of this book was, you know, checked out and the person wasn't returning, nobody else was getting that book. <laughs> um, I was able to find um, Mary Teresa Shaley won the contest, and she just named it the preteen department. <laughs> So I, I'm not exactly sure what she won, except for the recognition. But it was opened on March 1st. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, I don't, re- I cannot remember the date it opened, but the Irving Theater in Carbondale, when that opened, they had a, uh, a naming contest, and it was uh, uh, the librarian at the time who came up with the winning name. I think her name was Johnson? And uh, she chose the Irving because at the time it was believed that Washington Irving was the first person to come up with the name Carbondale. Now, it's kind of been disproved since then, but he was one of the earliest people to use the name Carbondale. That's fine. Mm -hmm. In 1958, the Carbondale Public Library was involved in a statewide library study that looked at the ways groups of libraries could help each other and how the state could help libraries as well. And Carbondale was selected because the progress it had made in library services, and it they felt like it was a good case study in the problems that still continue in libraries at that time, which I'm sure are very similar to today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of just, like, getting enough funding and how to attract people to the library mm-hmm. to participate in programs and events and... And return their library books. Yes. <laughs> they were very concerned about that in the paper. I don't know why. <laughs> and then in April of 1962, three new services were announced. There was a vertical file to help keep up-to-date information with clippings, pamphlets, magazine articles, and more. And then the library also introduced subscription services to several magazines and began participating in the interlibrary loan program. The interlibrary loan worked a little bit differently than today, where books were available from the state, and the state provided a list to all the libraries that participated, and you could go in, look at the list, pick out what you wanted, but those were the only books that you had access to. And then they would have them out for four to six weeks. And then I feel like interlibrary loans today could be anywhere from two weeks to a month that you gave them. And then after that, the Carbondale Library Association obtained the deed of the former Bell Telephone Building on 6th Avenue Church Street, and the building was a gift from the Hillman Land Company of Pittsburgh. 
fundraising efforts for the new building and to help facilitate the move began shortly after. And I found it fun that it included a jamboree hosted by the Kiwanis Club for teenagers and then the traditional capital campaign. Their goal was to raise $20,000. Another random fact I found was that Edward Everett Horton, who was the narrator in Rocking Bullwinkle, the classic cartoon, donated $75 to the library fund. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then they also had a door-to-door broom sale <laughs> that raised $500 towards it. I thought that was very crude. Yeah, I've never I've heard ne- of that. i never heard of a broom sale. <laughs> so I guess they just went door-to-door and they're like, here's brooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, that was... It was a big deal at the time because the library was getting its own building, which, uh, you know, it had always been like part of a different building, the DNH or the city hall. So it always been like this one or two rooms belonging to somebody else. So, yeah, now we had the whole building to ourselves to, to do what we wanted mm-hmm. with. And a bunch of space. Lots more space. In July of 1971, I started seeing the first ads for the Carbondale Public Library's book sales. Mm-hmm. So they are still happening. <laughs> <laughs> they celebrated 100 years in 1974. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, that also happened to be the same year of the Carbondale UFO. Oh, <laughs> yes, and that's going to be celebrating 50 years next year. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize. I know that's one of the popular, like myths in the yes. area. <laughs> like a legend. <laughs> and then in 1978, financial problems started again, and I believe these were countywide. Most places had financial problems where the library's hours got cut to only being open 35 hours a week instead of 44 like they had been. It seemed like that just kind of... That's just what that's, was happening yeah. at the time. And that seems to be what libraries just every face, every face, every few years every you know it just kind of like a cycle mm-hmm. it has funding then then it's threat you know they cut, threaten to cut funding yeah. then it's back again then they threaten mm-hmm. to cut it again and so it seemed like it was just a general funding issue where even the mayor came out and really supported the capital campaign funding and really encouraged people to donate to help keep the library open and running as much as it could and there were ads in the newspapers and op-eds that discussed the history and importance of the Carbondale Public Library and the library services continued and were very appreciated by the community. It just hit a rough patch for there a little bit. That kind of led directly into the push for the creation of the Lackawanna County Library System in 1982. And this was the idea that there would be an overall governing body of the libraries in Lackawanna County, where each library maintains their own independence and runs by themselves, but everyone is connected. And then on November 2nd of 1982, the referendum was passed, and all the libraries started the process of figuring out what it meant to kind of be united. The most prominent way that it affected services was that now the system was under a one library catalog. So we all can pull up books from each other's libraries and have them sent back and forth with no issues whatsoever. 
and patrons had the ability to return return library items to any library in the county and not be charged late fees or have to worry about getting back to Scranton if you lived up here in Carbondale and you could just return them anywhere. The organization of the Lackawanna County Library System had its first meeting in January of 1983, which is why it is the 40th anniversary this year. Mm -hmm. The last major thing I have in the history of the Carbondale Public Library is the move to the building we are in now recording this um, (laughs) where the current Carbondale Public Library is. And I have in 1992 zoning plans were approved but the space that it was going to be on on River Street fell through but the library continued fundraising efforts and to obtain money and eventually in 1993, the city of Carbondale gave approval for the library to be built where it is now, which is right next to City Hall. And then throughout all of 1994, fundraising continued and approvals were sought to finalize the building of the new library. All I could really find about the process was that it went slightly over budget, but it was fine because another grant was received and funding came from the county and the state and donations and the community and it worked and Mm -hmm. then the groundbreaking of the new building was in july of 1995. yep yeah it's uh we actually have still have the blueprints from uh what the library was going to be when it was on river street and it's like and it's so vastly different from where it is now because there we had like this huge plot of land that we could grow and you know expand the mm-hmm. library if needed and uh, we do this in a joking way but we call our current location a glorified alley because it's right b- between these two large historical mm-hmm. buildings it's very narrow another interesting fact about when it was being built was that there was a pushback against the building siding because I think it, I think the product's called like Drivec or something like that okay. it's, it's what the outside of the library currently is and it was uh, very affordable mm-hmm. uh, at the time, but nobody wanted us to use it because, again, we're in between these two very large historic buildings. Yeah. And when did the library officially open here? Uh, we opened here in October of 96. Are there any fun stories that I may have missed from going through just the Scranton papers from the history of the library? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the site actually used to be one of the original fire company's halls it was the cottage host company we joke that it's haunted <laughs> but i think that's almost all libraries yeah. <laughs> it feels so <out>. yes <laughs> and what is coming up this year for the carbondale public library uh in like in the way of programming things like that yeah programmings okay. events milestones anything all right uh, just this year uh we are currently we have uh We've been developing lots of programs. We've developed a couple new story times, along with our Library Littles, which is held on Thursdays. We now have a, uh, a fairy tale story time, which focuses on just different fairy tales, and then there's usually crafts or projects afterwards. We have our Shutter Club, which is a youth photography club. They, I think they're going to do every other week. We have uh, PA Career Links uh, come and help with uh, jobs and resumes. We It's not an official book club, but we have a kind of a read a read anything you want uh, book discussion going on where you just yeah, you, you read uh, any book that interests you 
and you come discuss it and you get ideas for new books. That's fun. I feel like that is helpful because a lot of times the structure of book clubs and libraries, it sometimes hinders um, how many people can be in the book club due mm-hmm. to the availability of the books themselves. Yep. So that's a fun idea. Thanks. <laughs> we do our monthly uh, food distribution, which is on the last Friday of every month. And uh, we get food donations from the Weinberg Foundation. And we just, just uh, have it available to distribute to the community. That's become really popular. And a lot of people are very uh, grateful for that. A few years ago, we started renovating the second floor. And while that's mostly done, it seems it's kind of been a work in progress because just kind of like the evolving needs needs of the community. We're still working on the children's room. We're actually uh, in the process of painting a mural in the children's room to help brighten up the space. We have uh, probably starting in within next month, I believe, we'll be we'll we'll have our seed library up running again, and that's just free seeds for the communities to come and take. And if they have any extra left over from their own collection or the seeds left over from the ones that they grab, they can bring them back and kind of continue the seed library that way. We have uh, Penn State Master Gardeners. Have, mm-hmm. Last year they put put a new pollinator garden in uh, the, around the library full of different plants and flowers and they kind of help educate the public about uh, local pollinators. And we should be getting ready for that again this year. That's great. <laughs> Uh, we offer technology services here. Uh, we have the public computers. We have the, the uh, we have uh, faxing and scanning services, and we also do have a genealogy local history room, uh, which we we has information pertaining. We try and keep it primarily to Carbondale and local families and things like that. But if they want to do any research of their of their family history, we do have resources here. Yes, I know we're often sending people up here Yes, <laughs> um, when they have family up near Carbondale because at the Scranton Public Library, we don't have great access to the Carbondale newspapers. Right. So contact Carbondale if your family is from Carbondale. <laughs> <laughs> or if you call us, we can give you their number. That's a major one <laughs> for research in this area. Yeah, and uh, I've had times where I've had to send people up to you because they're looking mostly for things like outside the Carbondale or further down the valley, mm-hmm. and it's like, this Granton's probably going to have more information yeah. than us. <laughs> where can people reach the Carbondale Public Library? If they are interested in any of the programs, where can they find more information? Uh, they can find it uh, on our website, uh, lclshome.org backslash Carbondale. We have our Facebook page. Just, you can look us up on Carbondale Public Library. The only issue with that is there is also a Carbondale Public Library in Illinois, and people sometimes get confused. It's always exciting when we have phone calls asking if we're going to have a program due to the tornado warning, and we have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, they can call us, uh, 570-282-4281. And if they're trying to find us on Main Street, we tell them to look for the large brick building with the clock tower. We're right next door to that. Well, thank you for agreeing to be on Tales from the Albright. Um, If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feel free to reach out to the Carbondale Public Library through the information that Jessica just gave. Or feel free to contact me at aloney at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. Or call the Albright Memorial Library at 570-348-3000.